and welcome back to another episode of Your Pocket Nurse, a podcast for student and graduate nurses. I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the original owners of the land on which I am recording on today. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I would like to just add a trigger warning before the episode begins as we do discuss unplanned pregnancies and termination. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Your Pocket Nurse. Today I'm going to be chatting to Robin who is a registered nurse and working in sexual and reproductive health nursing. So welcome. Oh hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries, thanks for joining me. How are you today? I'm good, how are you? Good, thanks. Really excited for this chat because, to be honest, I don't know a lot about this area at all because it's, I think it's something that sort of gets missed in uni. Like they don't really talk about this area of nursing. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think that. Like, um, yeah, I've got so much to tell you. I don't know if we'll be able to cover it in one podcast, but, (laughs) you know, sexual health, there's so much to it. You know, it's not just I don't work on a ward. And, yeah, anyway, so much to tell you when we actually drove into it. But hopefully we can and get more sexual health nurses. We definitely need more of them and we need more women's health nurses. So hopefully this catches someone's eye. Yes, I think so. Because when I put on the poll for people to add in their questions, there were so many people that were, you know, not even asking questions and just saying, I'm so excited to hear this episode. So, Oh, wow. That's yeah, really good. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. So I usually start off with three questions that I ask everyone. So yep. the first question is, why did you become a nurse? And if you weren't a nurse, what job do you think you'd have? Oh, okay. So hmm, that's a bit of a difficult one. Well, actually, I come from a whole family of nurses. So my mom's a nurse. My sister's a nurse. My um, other sister is an occupational therapist. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I come from a family of nurses. And you can probably tell, but I'm from Ireland as well. And I've been here for about 10 years now. But in Ireland, you know, my grandmother was a nurse. So, yeah, I just come from a whole family of healthcare. No doctors, though, but all nurses. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, I just, I actually went to ACU here in Melbourne. And I just, um, it was one of the, like, it was just when ACU was kind of getting big. It was oh, mm-hmm. back in, like, 2012. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the main reason why I became a nurse, because my whole family are nurses. But I did want to actually be a physio. So when I was growing up, I was like, yeah, I think I'll give physio a go. Or I wanted to be a lawyer and then I went to did this placement in like year 10 equivalent but this would be back in Ireland and I I know sat in on some law and some sort of legal thing and I hated it I was like this is so boring this is not (laughs) for me I can't talk I had to be quiet and I was like no this isn't for me and then I actually I grew up in a boarding school in Ireland and we had this um nurse that lived there with us and her name I don't even know what her real name was we just called her nurse Mm-hmm. And she was just so lovely and so caring and she's probably the main person I remember from boarding school like out of all the teachers and everything and I was like hmm, I think I want to be a nurse not because I come from a family of them but because of her she was just always there like sick bay or if we were missing our parents she was always there and that's one of the reasons why I kind of became a nurse but if I didn't become a nurse now I probably wanted to well maybe I'll even maybe still do it I'd love to be a Pilates instructor. Oh, me too. Oh, would you? (laughs) I think we spoke about it because you do the um, reformer Pilates at home. Yeah, so I have like, that was one of my big impulse buys this year. I bought my like a secondhand one from KX. Uh, They were getting rid of them, so Mm -hmm. I bought one of theirs. And I love it. I'd probably use it like maybe like four or five times a week. And I didn't think I would. And then I'm like, 
hmm, maybe I could become a Pilates instructor. And my sister actually did it last year and she's got her own reformer as well. And then I'm like, hmm, maybe this is like a side hustle we could have on the yes. side. Yes. Yeah. And you could do it too. Oh my God. We could have like little business. <laughs> a little nurses and Pilates studio. And then I could give like sexual health education at the end and be like, don't forget to use condoms. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I do find like some people do come from a long line of nurses and they're like, yep, I'm going to be a nurse too. And then I've spoken to some people who are like, there's literally no one in my family that's a nurse. I don't even know why I'm a nurse but I am it's interesting to hear you know why people well yeah I think so and I think you know just growing up in a nursing family we just spoke about nursing stuff like all the time like Mm -hmm. it was you know and I remember mum would talk to us you know even about periods and everything was just so normal and that's Mm -hmm. why I was like I just kind of fell into it that way you know like I kind of knew I wouldn't really be good at anything else but maybe the Pilates thing is a thing but yeah definitely not a lawyer after that placement but yeah no no. yeah well that's great thank you um so I suppose you're probably already working in the area you want to work in but um maybe back to the start of your career what was an area of nursing that you always wanted to work in or are you Um, still working in it or do you want to work towards something else at the moment well I actually always like throughout uni always wanted to work in emergency I was always like yeah I'm going to be a trauma nurse I want to do like fly in and fly out and do like um helicopters and maybe even do midwifery on part of that and then I had some ED placements as a student and I loved it and really really good placements and I was like yeah this is where I want to work in my grad year which would have been a few years ago I did my first rotation on a, a surgical ward mm-hmm. really good foundations for nursing like did all like pick lines and TPNs and yeah, it was really good. And then my second rotation, I uh, was lucky enough to get into ED. And I loved it as well, you know, made friends for life through there. And um, we had a really good team. And yeah, so that was really good. And then I ended up doing the transition into specialty practice. It's I think it's called other things in other um, hospitals. But it's yeah, I think everyone has their own thing. Yeah. And it was really good. It's like a, you so you apply just like a normal job and then you do um yeah, so you do like you can be in crit care or I think they have it in like pediatrics. So I did mine in emergency care um, for six months and it was really good. And then throughout it, I was like, mm, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Like and then afterwards, there's an expectation that you kind of do your postgrad on top of that. And I'm yep. working in recess and I was like, mm, I don't know if this is for me. Like I do enjoy it, but I didn't like I knew I didn't want to do any more studies in it. And then how I kind of fell into sexual health is I remember like, and this is, I don't know if you can relate to this, like we would have, you know, patients coming through emergency and they would have like pain, pelvic pain or pain when they passed urine. And straight away we would go and dipstick that urine and see what it would show. And then I was like, you know, this is a young person. Why are we saying, oh, she could have kidney issues? Is it, could it not be as simple as an STI? And I remember talking to like one of the doctors about it and they were like, oh, no, we don't really do any of those tests. We'll just send off the urine like an MSU and send off the urine and see if it cultures or if it grows anything. And then I don't know, I just kind of noticed that we in ED anyway, you, you know, you treat the problem. Okay, yeah, she's got pain when you're urinating, we will do x y and z but we're not actually getting to the root root problem Mm -hmm. and 
you know, you, you're doing everything to help them at that time and then they get sent to a ward and you might do a bit more there or they go into back into the community. And then that's when I was like, we really don't talk much about sexual health at all and or women's health or, you know, family violence, domestic violence. We don't really kind of touch base on it in ED. And that's when I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do post-grad. I spoke to one of the educators about it. She was actually a bit, you know, more submissive than anything and just sort of was like, oh, okay, well, find a job somewhere else kind of to see what else there is. Like, oh. Yeah. Well, thanks for the help. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit like that. And then, yeah, kind of got into sexual health after that when I knew ED after three and a half years in ED. I was like, yep, I'm done. I'm going to hang up my stethoscope. I don't need this again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really interesting because I suppose – yeah, as you say, it's not something that is really spoken about a lot yeah. in society. Even Do you like think so? Like, Do you think, yeah, yeah I suppose. Yeah, even in high school, like, you know, they don't really, well, I went to a Catholic girls' school, so um, they didn't really teach us too much exciting things about, you know, sex and all things like that. And yeah, especially true. not STIs because it's like, well, you shouldn't be having sex anyway, so why would you be getting one? Um, mm. You know, I think, yes, and especially at uni, they never explore that option of nursing I think that they're so focused on like ward nursing and they Mm. think about like elements of community nursing that's all so important to prevent you know as the people that are coming into ED or with more serious complications yeah that's true and I yeah I was going to touch on that as well like in uni they kind of in a way you know prepare you okay yeah you've got all your skills now you know how to do observations or whatever it may be that you're ready for a ward or you're ready for whatever it may be more in a hospital base, but they don't necessarily teach you or you don't even really have a subject on sexual health or family violence. They do a lot of mental health, but yeah. So I suppose we didn't, I didn't, when I was in uni, didn't know anything about sexual health. I didn't know that you could be a sexual health nurse or you could, I thought it was all a lot more doctors maybe would do that sort of stuff, but yeah. So yeah, it's a bit strange. Maybe they need to change the change, change the, the education. Yeah, <laughs> it's very um interesting. Mm. Um, and last question is: yeah. What has been your favorite clinical experience or moment, whether it be on placement or at work? Um, uh, probably actually when I was on placement in it would have been in my third year and you know, you've probably gone through this as well, where you're just like, I don't know if I can be a nurse. All of a sudden, I'm going to be, you know, going from a student, I'm going to have these patients all by myself. And it's a huge transition. And I remember in my final placement, I was working in ED. And this guy, one of the a male nurse, he was amazing. And he just was like, he was just, he gave me like a motivational talk. He was like, you can oh. so do this, you'll be amazing, blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget him and never forget his face and where he was saying it to me. And I was like, yeah, oh my God, I've got this. I think I'll be okay. And I think that was, even though it's not like a clinical experience, it's the moment when it like clicked in my brain and I was like, okay, this guy who I've only, you know, done a few shifts with and he was my mentor has like given me a big pep talk and he's like, yeah, you can definitely do this. And I think that I kind of, you know, strided through. And again, even when we have um, uh, students or people that are learning I would say the same thing you know try and encourage them because mm. it's horrible you doubt yourself so much throughout yeah you do placement. yeah so yeah, no, that's really good that was definitely probably my best clinical I remember walking out and I cried when I got to my car I was like oh he's just like giving me I just feel amazing he's I want to work <laughs> with him again and I've never met him ever again but he was yeah. yeah and like you know he probably doesn't even know how much of 
a positive impact that you know little no, pep definitely. talk had on you you know yeah. he was just you know thinking oh you know you did a good job today gonna let her know and <laughs> yes. then it's like wow this is my favorite moment I know and I'm talking about it like seven years later I'm like wow <laughs> I still remember him so yeah <laughs> uh, that's nice yeah I think yeah, I've had like a similar experience. I was once on placement and it's funny, like one of my buddy nurses at the time was actually my mum's friend oh. because, um, you know, we live in this same area. Yeah. And, you know, she messaged my mum, you know, afterwards and she's like, you know what, like Melena is going to be such a great nurse. You, know, oh. you should be so proud of her. And I was like, oh, that's so nice because you'd think maybe she'd be like they were they used to be friends they're not like super close friends anymore but it's just nice when someone like recognizes that and sort of says you're gonna do a good job yeah because I feel you know um we're always told on the bad things or things that we can improve on or Mm -hmm. like you know constructive criticism but whenever said okay you know Robin you've done a great job well done today you have got this you're gonna you know you're gonna have a great shift tomorrow you know you never really hear that it's more oh, well, you could have done this a bit better or mm-hmm. you gave out those meds too early or whatever it may be. So, yeah, we definitely – I love praise. Everyone loves praise, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's something that we should probably work on more in the, um, like, in the clinical environment, like, you know, uplift each other. Like, we've got these, like, um, yeah. positive little hearts. Like, you meant to write, like, a nice – you know, someone helped oh, yeah. you during a shift or something, you can write, oh, thanks – you know, blah, blah, for oh, you know, helping with this. But I feel like not many people are actually doing it at work. Like we've only no. just started to do it. But I think if we did that more regularly, like it would just, especially since it's such a hard time at the moment, like and any little bit of praise, yeah. like really makes you feel so much better. Yeah, definitely. And we, you know, if we could just say to that person, thanks for doing my early meds or whatever it could be, everyone loves to feel acknowledged and feel achieved so mm-hmm. maybe that's something we need to start tomorrow we'll go into work tomorrow and we'll be giving everyone praise. <laughs> yes all right it's great so um I guess we'll dive into a bit more about all the sexual and reproductive health yeah. nursing you already touched on that you sort of realized when you're working in ED yeah but what were sort of the first steps to actually getting into the field once you oh, realize okay. that you want to um, explore the area Yeah, so how did I get into it really? Well, it's actually, it is tricky, I must say. It it is hard. You really, you're told a lot of no's or um, before you can actually, like you really have to fight for it a bit. So what I did, I did a lot of research in sexual health and what it could get me and where I could go with it. So I I rang up like unis. um, There's some really good like mini courses or short courses that you can do. And I just wanted to see what my pathway could be. So for me, I did it's called a graduate certificate in sexual health and I did it through well if you if you're in Melbourne I did it through Melbourne Uni mm-hmm. and what you can do so it was quite a lot of money like all up I can't remember what it was but what you can do instead and I couldn't afford that you can do them as short courses so through Melbourne Uni they allow you to do two of them like pretty much for less than half the price of going through oh, okay. uni and enrolling Yeah, so it worked out so much more cheaper and way more affordable. And it's like a block. So I think I did it. I think it took the first short course takes like six months. And then you do another one um, six months later, like um, you go off and do placement and all that. And it was just a lot more affordable and achievable for me. Mm -hmm. So I did two of them through short courses. But then the catch is, is that you have to do the other two units enrolled. You can't do the three, the four units as 
um, the short courses. So then you do two of them at full price or two of them through the enrolled through Melbourne Uni. Mm-hmm. And so it took me, I think I did it over like two years, but it probably was the best because I still worked full time throughout. This is pre-COVID and mm-hmm. um, still worked uh, full time while I was doing it. And then I got my job in sexual health and where um, I wanted to work, I always wanted to work at this place. And I rang up so many times and they'd be like, no, Robin, you're not qualified enough. You haven't done X, Y, and Z. Go off and get a bit more experience. And I said to them, what do you mean? I've got ED experience. That's a really good experience. You know, mm-hmm. I've been there for probably would have been about two years at the stage. They're like, no, you need more community nursing. So then I stayed in ED because I loved it and I had my friends and I was really enjoying still working in ED and learning. And then I got a job in community health doing like GP practice mm-hmm. nursing. And at the time, I didn't really want to do it. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. But when it was a really, really good GP clinic and they were really supportive and they paid for me to do the nurse immunizing course. And so I stayed with them for about a year and they were really good. So I learned a lot more about probably like when, you know, patients would leave hospital and they would go back to their GP. You saw the other side of things. Yeah. So really good, like health assessments and all that kind of stuff. And then... Uh, the job that I really wanted and I've always wanted to work there came up and I rang them and I said, I really want this job. And they're like, yes, Robin, you rang me. <laughs> you rang, you rang a few times now. And I said, I'm going to apply. And so then I did apply and it was through the time where I actually enjoyed the GP clinic. And um, this was probably like nine months into the GP practice. And I didn't want to leave because I felt so bad because I, you know, it was a small, um, a small group that you worked with. Everyone was lovely. And then, so I did a bit of both. I did GP and started that new job. Mm-hmm. And then um, then I started in another women's health job pretty much straight after as well. So and then left the GP clinic after about a year. And they were really understanding. They knew I wanted to do sexual health. I asked them if I could do that sort of stuff in the GP clinic. And they said, no, it's more for doctors to do that, like pap smears and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then now I work. Uh, so it's taken me a while to get there, like a lot of perseverance. And in the midst of all that, you can do other courses. So like uh, family planning, New South Wales and family planning, Victoria have great courses and um, all about you could study stuff like um, young people's young people and sexual health. I think it's called um, sexual health education. You can do a little short course on contraception. You can do a comprehensive sexual and reproductive health course about cervical screening uh, so that's what the pap smear is now. Um, mm-hmm. You can learn about sex workers so, and diverse communities like LGBT. So there's a lot more that you can do short courses as well, as well as while you're doing your um, your graduate certificate in sexual health. So I did a lot of that in my spare time, which some yeah, of them are really, yeah, small courses. So it was good. And then, yeah, so I've just kind of now been working in sexual health um, full time now, but it just takes a while. But there's definitely jobs we need more people <laughs> mm, just they need the experience don't they yes, <laughs> every yes. job it's, it's so hard to you know hear that you know that oh, we need more experience and then it's like having to find you know what they would equate to the relevant experience yeah, um, like just give know, me a job and give me the experience there yeah <laughs> I know it reminds me a bit of retail like they'd always yeah. say oh well you know you need experience but how do you get the experience how do you get the experience without getting a job <laughs> yeah so it's interesting to know that, you know, the GP um, 
job helped you get into it. I suppose that's also another interesting area. What sort of tasks were you doing when you're working in the GP clinic? Yeah, see, I thought, you know, I really came where in ED, I, my mindset was probably a bit different when I started the GP clinic. I was like, I'm an ED nurse. I should be doing more, you know, trauma stuff in the GP clinic when we know that's not right. They go, they get an ambulance and they go to ED. Mm-hmm. But so what we kind of did, it was a lot of childhood immunizations, which was great. We did, um, I did iron infusions through them. I did like, so I was already cannulating from the ward. So I brought that experience there. I then, um, I you kind of pick a portfolio. So they let me talk. I talk about asthma and that was my little baby about the asthma thunderstorm. This is about the time, you know, I remember a few years ago, there was like that big asthma thunderstorm. So that yes, was, I do remember. Yeah. So then I, that was my little baby while I was there and they let mm-hmm. me do this newsletter and it went out to the local newspaper um, like in your area, the council newspapers, so that was really good. And then I did a lot of policies and changed some policy um, about asthma. So that was like, it was, even though it's a GP clinic, and I think a lot of people are like, oh, you, you know, you're just a GP nurse, but you actually can do quite a lot. And it was probably mm-hmm. the best year to learn all that foundation stuff. I got to go out and go to people's homes and do health assessments for elderly people from their homes. Um yeah, things that you just think, oh, you're just a GP nurse, you're just helping the doctors. When you're actually doing a lot more, you can kind of be like, oh, well, I really want to, I'm interested in this. Can I read up about it and maybe bring something back to the GP clinic? And they're like, yeah, that sounds really good. Maybe you can hold an education session and talk to the doctors about asthma. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was quite, yeah. So don't turn your eye away if anyone's listening to this and they think, you know, should I do GP work? Definitely. Um, yeah, that's really interesting because I suppose like for me, that sounds like a lot of education and, you know, public health knowledge, you know, raising yeah. all the awareness about things. So, yeah, that's really interesting mm, to know because, yeah, I personally, like there's lots of areas of nursing that I don't know about, which is why I'm enjoying the podcast because yeah, I bet. I'm learning yeah. lots. Um, but, yeah, that's great to know. And so what advice do you have for someone like wanting to pursue this area, you know, just keep, you know, going at it, pushing and doing all these courses and, you know, yeah. adding your experience. Um, yeah. And don't, don't give up. You know, you're going to, people are going to say, no, Robin, or you, you don't have that experience. That's for a doctor. But like, well, oh, I want to do that. I want to be mm-hmm. able to do, I really always wanted to do cervical screen tests. So pap smears. So I wanted to do that. So I was like, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to find a course that I can do and I'm going to go and get my placement. So you have to, that's the only annoying thing you have to find um, like preceptors that will take you on and okay. let you do experience and putting in a speculum and taking the, you know, doing a genital examination and being able to take the swab and stuff. But I was just not taking no for an answer. I'm like, I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to be members of different groups. So there's lots of um, remote nursing uh, that they do free courses, just online webinars. They also do free courses about um, ear syringing, which was really helpful and really interesting and about suturing and all these different things that I was like, no, I'm not going to need that if I want to be a sexual health nurse, but you do need all of that. You do need, Mm -hmm. you need to know how to give, um, an injection correctly, which I learned actually properly through remote nursing. So be a member of everything. So that's like Krana Plus, it's called. So Krana, mm-hmm. it's free to join. Um, there's heaps of free different memberships that you can know about. And then they send you newsletters and then you're like, oh, there's a course that that's free. I'm going to do that one. 
So, oh. And is this for also like all different types of nursing? Yeah, so like, there's health okay. ed is really good. Health ed have really good, interesting stuff, all different um, webinars that you just – you know register for and it's free and it's like I think it's I don't think it's recorded I think it's a live yeah it's usually at like seven o'clock at night every Tuesday and they hold all different um discussions so anyone that I find interesting I'll do them um through family planning through Jean Hales there's heaps so you just have to keep finding all these ones to um do and learn about and oh, then... interesting i'll have to add them into the comments when i post this episode because oh, okay yeah lots of people will find it interesting and look into it yeah so sexual health it is hard to get into probably more you you've, you're hit with a lot of barriers but once you start your experience um you learn it all on the job as well but you just have to keep you know ringing up places and being annoying and applying for a job that you know you're not going to get but then you'll apply for it the second time and you might get it yeah Um, yeah stuff like that is probably my best advice just don't give up and don't take no for an answer no (laughs) that's good well I'm glad you didn't take no for an answer and you kept calling up that dream clinic of yours because you ended up landing the job yeah it sounds yeah and it's been great now I do research through them which is really good so I'm learning all about um SDI's transmission and why why are people getting STIs and where are they coming from and how we can treat them by giving them the right antibiotics on the first go. It's very interesting. Mm. Mm. So how prevalent are STIs in Australia? Um, that's a good question. So they're probably, they're probably the most ones that we would know about and we would hear about is like chlamydia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most prevalent STIs on young people. So anybody under the age of uh, 25 are more likely to get chlamydia. Um, main, that's mainly because people aren't getting tested and people have more sexual partners when you're younger and we're having sex with different people. So we might have been having sex with people that are having sex with other different people. And, yeah. Um, access to healthcare is probably the main thing. They're not coming in and getting their tests. So chlamydia is quite high. And there's been a, quite a big um, rise of syphilis in the community. Mm. Usually we would see syphilis more in um, men who have sex with men. So you call them MSMs or mm-hmm. um, gay men, we would see syphilis. But there's been a huge rise, probably more this year, in heterosexual couples with syphilis, meaning that now syphilis is um, causing congenital syphilis, meaning that a baby is born with syphilis, um, which has huge, huge health care um, or health defects on that child and um, when they're born. So, yeah, syphilis and chlamydia are probably the highest rates. I think we're looking like, I think in one year in, is like 70,000 cases of chlamydia. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know if you know the answer, but what are some of those, um, like, defects in the um, children? In, in children. They're... So it can cause um, early, uh, uh, early. what do you call it when someone has an early, early um, like, premature baby? I'm trying to think. Sorry. Yeah. So it causes <laughs> premature babies. It can yeah. cause um, where the baby will be born and die within the first 24 hours of life. Oh, wow. um, it can also cause defects for the child if they're so the idea is if someone does have syphilis and they are pregnant we can treat them while they're pregnant so they can still get the treatment yeah. and then sometimes when the baby's born we might have to treat the baby depending mm-hmm. if they um so you get syphilis through a blood test 
is yeah. how you detect for syphilis. Um, so if their blood test comes back with it, we would treat the baby. But the main things, it will just be um, premature birth and death upon birth, really. Yeah. Okay. So, so we don't want any more stillbirths. But yeah. Yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, that it's around and it's really important that we're all getting tested if we are, you know, having unprotected sex or, you know, having Definitely. multiple partners because it shouldn't be, you know, a sort of a taboo and people just you know ignore it and think no. oh, it happened to me and if it does happen it's you know I personally don't know a lot about but it's not the end of the world is it like you know well, as you say there's um no it's not the end of the world you're right so the two so and um, just in a short snapshot so the main STIs is chlamydia and gonorrhea mm-hmm. and you can get them through um urethral so you, you basically test from any site so urethral anus and throat so you can get chlamydia mm-hmm. and gonorrhea from there and then your bloodborne viruses is hiv and syphilis syphilis chlamydia and gonorrhea is treatable and curable and um, hiv as we know is something that you will have for life but it's nowadays it's very well managed and it's just like having any other long-term condition but you mm-hmm. will have it for life um so it is treatable and it is obviously manageable, HIV, syphilis, chlamydia and gonorrhea. But if you have chlamydia for a very long time and you don't get treated, it can cause um, infertility in women mm-hmm. and um, it can cause pelvic inflammatory disease in women. So that means that the infection hasn't just isn't around their urethra. It's now gone up to their pelvis and into their organs. So that's what you don't want. So mm-hmm. you need to get treatment. And it's just a simple antibiotic now. It's quite quick. Um, and then obviously you need to tell your sexual partners. But so, yeah, it is, it's not the end of the world, but we definitely don't want to keep spreading chlamydia. No. Um, and the main symptoms for any STIs, I'll just quickly mention them, mm-hmm. are pain when you urinate. So that's something that you would see a lot in ED, I suppose. Any discharge that isn't your normal discharge, any lumps or bumps or rashes to your genital region that isn't normally there and um, abnormal bleeding that's not associated with your period so mm-hmm. and abnormal bleeding for men as well from their bottom in yeah so they're the main symptoms of any STIs okay thank you mm-hmm. for sharing those yeah because I think yeah we need to just spread the awareness about yes. it and sort of um and get not normalize it but just normalize the conversation surrounding it and prevent yeah. it from you know spreading and everything and you know and there's you know if anybody's worried that they don't want to tell their partner or their their casual partner that they have an sti there's really good websites now called let them know have you heard of i have i think i've um yeah i have heard of it because there's like this thing called melbourne gal pals i'm sure some of them oh yes i've heard of it yeah yeah and people are always posting you know random questions and you know I'm always just nosy and reading um, <laughs> but yeah I have seen this um website you know yeah so you can just it, but yeah you could text John and say hey John and you just it will be anonymous and you just say I have just recently had a test and I've been positive for chlamydia I think you should get a test and then we see that a lot so they people will come in and say oh I just got this text message I don't know if it's a joke or a real thing and it's just like well we may as well test you you're here now we'll test you it's mm-hmm. just a urine test and a blood test. So it's pretty nice quick and easy. easy. Yeah, very easy. Awesome. So what would you say is a typical day um, in 
your nursing field because I suppose it's a bit different to mine, you know, with the obs <laughs> and meds and showers and meals times and yes, all true. that. We do, yeah, I don't really do any of that. So <laughs> um, typical, So I have normal hours. So sometimes I start at 8 o'clock and usually finish around 5 um, or 5.30 and it's a, it's just like a clinic. So it doesn't mm-hmm. look like a GP clinic. I work in across two organisations. So one of them is more hospital-based, the other one is more of a clinic. Um, people will come in, they might have symptoms, so they might um, feel out that they have pain when they urinate or they've got bleeding that's not their period. So then you would um, bring them in, you talk to them, you get a very good comprehensive sexual health history taken. So you might ask them questions like, when was the last time you had sex? And who was the sex with? Was it with a man or a woman? And did you use a condom or are you on any contraception? So you get a full history of that. And then another really good thing to ask is when did the symptoms start? And then you would just do all the testing. So they can do some swabs and they can self-collect the swabs. So, or they can do a urine test and a blood test. And then you would educate them on safe sex practices. So about who you're having sex with, do you know the person? And do you inject any drugs? All that kind of stuff. And then you can give them some free condoms. So we have lots and lots of condoms. We make Mm -hmm. it very normal when they come in. There's you know big bowls of condoms around and say I will you know get in touch with you if you have any positive results Mm -hmm. and then with men as well we may talk to them about prep and pep so um do you know do you know much about prep and pep do you want me to yeah no I don't know a lot about it but I think yeah, I've heard of it, like, on TV shows. Yeah, yeah. About it. Like, It's a Sin talks about um, prep on It's a Sin, you know, the Netflix show. Oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, prep and pep is for men who have sex with men who want to reduce their risk of getting HIV. So um, men who have sex with men, we don't necessarily call them gay men anymore because a lot of men will have sex with a man and don't classify themselves as a gay man. Mm-hmm. So it's very important of the and the wording that we use around these uh, cohort of people. And, yeah, so we'll just talk to them and say, have you ever considered going on PrEP? So PrEP is a medication they just take once a day. It's kind of like girls taking the pill for contraception, and Mm -hmm. it reduces their risk of getting HIV, or I think it's like over 80%. So it's a really high, it's really good for them to be honest Mm -hmm. Uh, because we know HIV is more transmitted through men who have sex with men and through anal sex. And then PEP is really, really good medication. You can also get this from ED. So it's called post-exposure prophylaxis. And it's a tablet that they can take. Um, who They've just had anal sex and they could be top or bottom. We call it receptive or insertive sex. And they don't know this person. There's someone that they've met on Tinder or Grindr mm-hmm. and um, they don't want to get HIV. They want to reduce their risk. So they come into our clinic or they can go to an emergency department and say, I want PEP. And you give them PEP and it's a tablet that they take and we've seen it and we've seen it basically they won't get HIV from it if they take the tablets. Um, But the main thing that they have to have that tablet within 72 hours of the sex. So if they had sex a week ago and then they come into the clinic, it's not going to work. So their risk of HIV is a lot higher. So it's something that has to, they have to have that tablet within 72 hours of having the sex. So that's important. But yeah, so we do a lot of that and we just educate. Um, in my other job, though, it's more women's health, which mm-hmm. I have more of a desire for women's health. I could talk about women's health and sexual health all the time and all day. Mm-hmm. And what we do more there is more 
um, unplanned pregnancies. So mm-hmm. um, it's very well known as called an abortion, but we the medical term is termination. So it's called a medical termination of pregnancy. And um, we would talk about contraception, so IUDs, so the little coil that gets um, popped into your uterus or an implanon, which is the rod in your arm. So we put them in at the clinic. And uh, we also see sex workers. Sex workers need to have um, STI screening every three months. It's mandatory. In oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So they come in every three months and we do all the tests as just a normal STI test, but they just have to have it every three months. Yeah. And then they get a certificate so they can work. So, yeah, that's mainly what I do at my other job. So more women's health. And the main thing we do a lot of is cervical screening. So pap smears or they used to be called pap smears, but they're now changed the name. They change names for everything. It's now called a cervical screen test. Okay. And are you now, have you done a course? Are you allowed to do them or are you yeah. still? So I finished that course. That was one Yay. of the first courses I did. Yeah. Oh my God. It was such a big achievement. It was, I it's, know, yeah. I imagine. and then popping in my first speculum, I had, you know, you've got the nerves going just like as if you were doing your first venipuncture. Oh my God. I was so nervous. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So now I do them. It's like bread and butter for me. I'm always doing pap smears. I still call them pap smears. Cervical smears. Yeah. Test. I think, yeah, yeah, I think like I still associate it with a pap smear because I think, you know, for so long, that's what it's we called. Yeah. It's only recently changed to cervical screen test and pap smear is easier to say, but yeah, basically the same thing. It's just a, they call it CST now, cervical screen test. Yeah. And do you mind telling us a bit more about that? Because that's also very important. It is. It's very important. And I'm sure most of our listeners might be um, women that between those ages that need a cervical screen test. Mm-hmm. So what it is, is it used to be, as we know, it used to be called a pap smear, that from the age of 18, you would go to your GP or go to a women's health clinic and get a pap smear and you would go every two years. It's now changed at the end of 2017, it changed to cervical screen test and it's from the age of 25 to 74 years. So we mm-hmm. no longer screen people under the age of 25 and you know I remember when this was changed and I'm like well that's a lot of people under 25 are having sex why aren't we why aren't we screening them so the main reason we've stopped screening them is now we've got a great vaccine called HPV vaccine or Gardasil vaccine yes I remember getting that one yes 10 yes exactly so you get under the age of 15 I think it's you should only be giving to girls at school but a few years ago they brought it into and boys at school as well Um, yeah and it's it's been such a great vaccine and it's basically reduced the numbers of HPV in women under 25 so there's no need to screen there's no need to screen them until you're 25 now because we have this vaccine and it's reduced the rates of um, HPV or cervical cancer Mm -hmm. but the Gardasil vaccine only covers you for nine strains of HPV and it's really important to know that there's over a hundred strains of HPV so that's the human papillomavirus Mm -hmm. and over time if we have HPV in our cervix or in our uterus and we don't get it treated over time and I'm talking like 10-20 years it can lead to cervical cancer so it's really important and you get your pap smear or your cervical screen test from the age of 25 Mm -hmm. if you don't have HPV you go back every five years if you do have one of the strains of HPV, we get you back in a year and we make sure that your body clears that virus itself. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm learning so much. I feel like <laughs> I'm in like a, a uni lecture listening. It's really um, interesting to hear oh, because cool. I feel like, 
you know, I personally, I should know more about this, especially being, you know, a woman. But well, it's not your fault. We're not, you just don't, don't know. Yeah, people don't tell us. We're not educated with this in school. I went to a a strict Catholic boarding school, and I was never told any of this. Like yeah. I didn't know any of these things. And then you leave school, and you're like, oh yeah, you'll learn it one day. But where do you learn it? You don't learn it at uni. It's not something you sit around the kitchen table and talk about. You know, like we don't learn it. Yeah, yeah. So would you just book in at your GP for yeah, so, and then they can refer you to a specialist that does it? Um, so any GP should be able to do it. So any yep. doctor um, should be able to do a speculum examination. So with a, I think a lot of um, anxiety comes around about having a speculum exam. So that's that little plastic, it looks like a little duck device that gets inserted into your vagina. We mm-hmm. um, open it up. And it makes a clicking noise. And then we see your cervix and we take the swab. But I think a lot of people, that's what they're like. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going. I'm not getting that done. I ain't getting naked in front of my GP. Yeah. So, and I get that. I totally get it. Like my GP is a male. I wouldn't feel comfortable going to him. So lots of nurses. That's why we need more nurses to do this course. So nurses yeah. can do it. Um, you get your own provider number and you can do it at, at a GP Oops, clinic. Sorry, I think I lost you for a bit. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, all good. Oh, sorry. I was getting a call and it stopped. (laughs) Better not be urgent, hopefully. (laughs) No, it's all right. Um, Yeah, what was I saying? So, yes, so you can go to your GP or you can go to a nurse that does them. So at our clinic, we do them all the time. Um, You can look up on the Cancer Council registry and you just put in what suburb you live in and it will tell you all the people that do them if you don't want to go to a doctor you unclick the doctor button and it will come up with all the nurses that do them so that way you're like oh I want to go to a female person because they maybe understand more because they have a vagina or whatever it may be yeah or you don't want to go to your GP clinic that's the same as your parents GP clinic and you don't feel comfortable which I completely get as well so yeah there's lots of other places that do them now and a lot of community health centers do them um it's a great skill to have as a nurse so if anybody wants to do the course there's lots of them through family planning as well um and it's yeah it's wonderful I've learned so much through that course and seeing different um services so cervix and seeing different ones they all look different and if you're on the pill they look a little bit different to someone that's not on the pill and yeah it's very interesting yeah that is very interesting to know because yeah, I guess you yeah. don't know until you know. No, exactly. You don't know what you're looking for. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that sounds like a really interesting mixed bag of um, you know, different skills that you're able to do. Yeah. Um, what definitely. do you think? You obviously enjoy the more um women's health, but yes. is there one thing that like what do you love most about your job? Do you think? Um, I think it's more knowing that you've helped someone so a lot of the people that we see we they might not have a stable um, income or they might not have a doctor that they go to regularly and they come to us and they could often just have a chat to us we allow enough time we're not pumped under the pressure like we don't if we want to see a patient for an hour we have that time to see Mm -hmm. that person for an hour so it's a lot of people um that might they might talk about something else sometimes they come in and they talk about the fight that they had with their boyfriend or whatever and we give them that space and I think um not sometimes when they come back so like a great case would be someone that comes in for an unplanned pregnancy and they're distraught they can't have this baby for many different reasons they might be at uni or they can't afford that baby or all different reasons and they the stigma around having an abortion 
is very challenging mm-hmm. even though you know we're in the 21st century we should be able to talk about these things um so she you know often this girl will come into us and they're not on any contraception and they're you know they're all all over the place and they just don't know what to do and take this news and so then they come they go they have their medical termination and then they come back for contraception and it's a really like holistic care like she came in you know two months ago and she's crying at my at my desk and she's you know so distraught with herself and then she comes back and we might put an implant on in or an IUD or give her a script for the pill and she comes back again for STI testing and it's such it's so rewarding Mm -hmm. to see those women that come in and they're at their lowest time in their life and you've been able to help them and they can go off now and have safe sex with their partner knowing that they're not going to get pregnant they didn't realize that they could get pregnant at any time of the month and because of ovulation and everything so that's really interesting and that's been probably the most rewarding helping those those women that's why I probably prefer more women because I see more women I suppose maybe I would like men's health but right now I'm really enjoying women's health and being able to educate like we there's a lot a lot of unplanned pregnancies like under the age of 15 at the moment with COVID there's been quite a lot of um, year sevens and year eights having babies because they're at home and they're learning about their bodies and they're not at school and they're having unplanned or unprotected sex and they're not using a condom and then they get pregnant and they're too afraid to tell their family and then they're Mm. too late to have an abortion or to even discuss the opportunity of a termination um so that's been really good to go into schools or do zooms and educate these young 13 14 15 year olds and telling them you know showing them how to put on a condom because a man might say they know how to put a condom on but really are they doing it right are they doing it the opposite way Mm -hmm. inside out and putting a condom on you know so that's really rewarding as well the education part probably takes more time because you have to do a lot of presentations and a lot more um work goes into it with I'm sure you would know with all your podcasts so there's a lot more involvement yeah Um, yeah. that's really interesting about the whole yeah I suppose that's a big area like educating at school Mm, you know because I guess if you target you know the age group or yeah various you know, topics um, that you want to educate about, then you are able to sort of prevent, you know, the Definitely. risk of something yeah. occurring. And yeah, you know, as we all want, we want positive patient outcomes exactly. and everything. So yeah. we just need to increase knowledge and increase awareness about having sex can is great and it's wonderful, but we need to do it safely and we need yeah. to know the consequences if we have sex or just stuff like that. So I think that's probably very rewarding. Maybe education is something that I would do later, but again, there's yeah, it's a, it's a lot more work than just going yeah. to clinic, as you know. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a lot more work, but yeah, it's very rewarding though. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Well, I think you should be an educator in something because <laughs> I'm personally sitting here and I'm very engaged. Oh, know, thank you. To you. Um, I feel like there's yeah, so much um, to learn. It's oh, so area. much to learn. Yeah, but I feel you know, even just having the Instagram page that I have, so many people just ask me questions, and you know, they might not even be from Australia. I get a lot of people from the UK just asking mm-hmm. me whatever it could be about the they call it the coil or the IUD, and just asking are these symptoms normal? To you know, just educating, and I'm like, yes, of course, and they're like, oh, I you know the doctor didn't tell me this or whatever it could be so it's that's really rewarding as well having the sexual health page um it was only really kind of done last year to just as a research model to see um the audience and the capture yeah Um, but now I've just kind of kept it going because I feel 
I feel like I need to because I want to help people and I want to educate people. So, yeah, yeah. well, I've only just started re- uh, recently following you. I think it was like a few months ago. And, yeah. you know, I've gone back to read like older posts that you've done. And it's, it's you know, so interesting because it's an area that, you know, so many people aren't educated on as we Definitely. keep saying. And, <laughs> yeah, like for me, like I'm personally like, not on any contraception pills yeah. or anything because like that sort of just scares me you know <laughs> I've you know never you know my mum was always like you know no Melina like you don't need the pill or whatever and I was like okay yeah you know, I need it and you know and then the whole you know hormone thing I'm like oh do I just want to keep it natural you know it's just so much that you don't know about and then I don't know. And then it's, once again, it's like, oh, do I really want to go talk to my GP who's a yeah. medical and he might not be able to relate to me because Exactly, because he does not on contraception, is no. he? No. And I actually did a funny little trial on myself this year, actually. So I, just to see um, in regards to the audience that I was getting on Instagram, so I had an IUD in and I mm-hmm. took it out. My, like I went to the place where I got it put in and I got it taken out and I wanted to see what my body would be like on no hormones and what my periods would be like so it was actually like a little trial that I did um yeah spoke to my partner about it are you happy now I'm not going to be on any contraception you know openly discussed it and then I you know wasn't on anything and then I went on the pill for a while and I just wanted to experiment and see what my body would react to my body reacted terribly to the pill um so yeah I I try to be a guinea pig so in that way I can you know educate other people that I know what you're going through because I've been on the pill and it causes heavier bleeding or whatever it may be and then now I've got another IUD in and it's the best thing ever but that's that's for another topic I could talk about that all day as well. but <laughs> yeah no so. it's good I think it's important like I've personally found you know connecting with you know people through their Instagram pages it's, oh, it's yeah. really good you know this Instagram page is about everything now you know like yeah. get the influencers you know posting you know random clothes and all that stuff exactly. like there's so <laughs> many interesting pages that I follow like whether it be like recipes or especially like nursing and being able to like relate to people um you know going through the same thing as you or whether they are sort of like an aspiration like you want to get to the position they're in or like you know your Instagram where you know people don't really know about this area and it's just exactly so great I think yeah and I actually I never even thought of it like that I think you know when Instagram was when it first started out, it was all about, you know, lots of it, lots of um, followers and influencers and their life and their travel. And then it's kind of like, no, I want to follow people that I can relate to. And I want to yep. be able to kind of understand what that person's life is like. And I think now a lot of the followers that I have on the sexual health page and even, you know, even you've just said it there as well, that you can relate more to them and you can be like, yeah, I totally get that. I really want to be that nurse or I really want to strive to be like that person, but I can relate to them. They're not kind of like fake in a way. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Instagram is changing maybe. (laughs) It is. It's it's it can be really you know, positive and mm. we all yes. I change my view every day on it. But yes. um yeah. <laughs> so you've spoken a few about a few different areas of um nursing that you work in, but are there any that you haven't sort of touched on that um, um you know other areas that people can explore or do you think you've sort of summed up the main areas? I think that's probably the main thing, but what I would probably add to it is don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I love sexual and women's health and I've found a job that I really enjoy. But 
I'm not working for one place. I work for two different organizations. So I dibble dabble. I might get more from one place than I do with the other. And then because we're in lockdown and we're not doing anything, I do immunizations on the side and I'm still keeping up my clinical skills in that sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important that you know a bit about everything. You might have something that you love the most. It may be pediatrics or emergency or cardiac or sexual health. But then again, you know you'd be able to work somewhere else if you were thrown into some some area that you needed to work in. You'd be able to float and not sink. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I do like the immunizations. I, I thought you were going to get into that as well, weren't you, Mel, that you were – I know I'm just I had a really busy work week you and are then busy. I just and then I was like oh gosh there's no time to look up but I think today I might do a bit more because look I got lots of um recommendations and yeah like I've because I was more interested in vaccine just because I was like oh I don't know if I really want to do swabbing yeah. but there's a nurse that I work with and she lives in my um area and she yeah. works for this organization and does swabbing and she's like oh, I get paid so much money and I was like oh maybe I should do swabbing but I don't know if I want to put myself in that that additional risk Mm -hmm. knowing that like I know we wear all our PPE and all that jazz and I probably won't get COVID if I swab someone but it's just like I don't know whether I want to put my current workplace at bigger risk or my family because I live with like my mom my dad my grandma and my brother you know yeah so that's that's smart you know you're that's like a smart move you kind of have to think yeah okay the money might be great but then it's you know, you working in your other job or in your um, full-time job, going back and maybe putting other people at risk. I don't know. And and your family as well. Imagine yeah. if you came home with someone and they'd be like, no, it was your fault, you know. So, so yeah, it's kind of hard in that sense. But I don't know how yeah. you have enough time. Think... You're working and doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got like – I had yesterday, today, and I have tomorrow off. So it's been like – Wow. Yeah, it's been good. So I had three days off in a row, which is good. Um. But I feel like your days off go so quickly. And then I guess when we're in lockdown, as you say, like it does get a bit boring. So you're like, I might as well work more. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I just kind of want to rest. I know. I don't know. We'll see. That's what nurses can be greedy sometimes. We're kind of like, no, we want to work because on the weekends it's great money. But then we also have to sit back for a second, think of our mental health and be like, no, I'm having a day off. I don't want to work um yeah you don't want to pick up an extra shift so yeah that's important to remember as well yeah I think it's so important to recognize like when you need to slow down and just say no I think at the start of my grad year I was like really I still am kind of bad I'm not good at saying no to people like I just not like trying to be a people pleaser but I just want to you know seem keen and you know you don't want to say mm. no to your manager and say oh no I don't want to do that but I know like, you want to look like a good person no. yeah yeah mm-hmm. 100% yeah so lucky I haven't like at the start of the year we had a few more like vacancies and being asked to do double shifts and mm. I was like yeah and I was like thinking about the money and then like you're so tired when you're done I know. and it takes like two days to recover from a double shift you're like why did I do that to myself mm. yeah I know some nurses like I don't mind doing a double if it's like a, a morning and a PM, but I know lots that do PM and then because they can't k- cover the overnight or well, someone has to stay, right? Like, mm. And then they work all night too. I used and to I'm do like, that in ED all the time, mainly because of money because what I would, like if I was on a late early, I yeah. would sometimes volunteer and be like, if you're sure, I will do the double shift <laughs> and do the night shift and then 
be off the AM because I used to hate AMs and be off the AM the next day. And then probably that's one of the reasons why I came to be like, no, my time in ED is enough because I started to resent it. I was like, why am I? But it was like my own fault. I kept working and doing, I used to do like 10 night shifts in a row. Oh, how? Because I was like, oh, yeah, money, you know, and then you just kind And then I became like this negative person like outside of work and I was like, no, I need to stop this. I need to have a work-life balance. I need to make time for my partner and see him before he hates me and he doesn't want to spend time with me. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, and that's probably one of the reasons why I left ED because I think I kind of, even just reflecting on it now, I think I made myself hate it in a way because I just worked Mm -hmm too much so you know and at a job you want to you want to love going to work you want to not be like okay yeah I better I used to like bring extra food knowing that I was going to do a double shift <laughs> prepared to pick up that yeah. extra oh, so don't be old Robin be the new Robin <laughs> <laughs> yes no it's important to know our boundaries I think yeah yeah lots of people just get caught up in but there comes a time where you will just crash and burn. You know, you can't keep mm. going at that pace. No, um, no, but it's not worth the money either. We have to have our times off and see our friends and family, even yeah. pre-COVID or after COVID. Or, yeah, I know. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add in this chat? I feel like um, we've lots, but I don't no, know if there's anything interesting so. you've come across. Um, no, I think that's probably it. Um, every day, really, for my job, it can be very interesting. It's what you make of it, even not in sexual health. It's other things. If you find something enjoyable or it's something that you don't know, go off and do the research and learn about it or be like, I want to be better at that. That's sort of, So I think not that I have any interesting things to hand over, but it's just more, yeah, if you want something, get it. And just don't. keep striving. Yeah. yeah, keep going at what you want. And if an educator says, nah, you can't get a job in that, be like, well, because you've said that now, I'm going to make sure I can get a job in that. Yeah, you know? no, I want it even more. I yeah. think everyone says that when they get told no, it makes yeah. them just want to get it even more. I know, it gives us the push we need maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I've learned so, so much and I'm sure everyone is going to love this episode. Oh, good. And the only thing I should probably say to finish it all is if you are due for your cervical screen test, please go and book your cervical screen test. See a doctor, see a nurse. There's so many people that can do it. So don't, it's a screen test. You need to go when you don't have symptoms. So you have mm-hmm. to have your cervical screen test if you're due. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Is key. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. It was lovely chatting to you. Nice to chat to you. I was going to say nice to meet you, but we were just chatting on the phone. But I feel yeah. like I know you though, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's been nice because I've been interviewing like all my friends so far, like, and you're the first person I've interviewed that I've never, you know, met. Actually and met. And then yeah. when I heard your voice, I was like, oh, this is this is the <laughs> voice behind the Instagram page. Yeah, exactly. Well, well done for everything that you're doing. I can't wait to listen to more podcasts and more posts that you put up so well done great work thank you so much have a lovely day you too see you bye bye thanks Bye.